we'll do a bio and then we'll just kind of dive into the interview and keep talking. So our guest today is Gabri Krista. Gabri Krista was born and raised in the Caribbean island nation of Curacao. Self-described as a member of a crossroads culture, one of the prevalent themes in Gabri's work is the negotiation of personal memory against and alongside historical record and material artifact. Gabri's work is firmly rooted in a post-colonial discourse. She aims to make those who are unseen more visible and to inspire change in hearts and minds by pointing to our shared humanity. Multidisciplinary and wide-ranging in form, Gabri's art making spans film, choreography, performance, curation, writing, and more. She's won awards in multiples of these disciplines and has numerous teaching credits to her name. Gabri is currently an assistant professor of professional practice at Barnard College and a member of Mayor de Blasio's Cultural Advisory Commission. In recent years, she developed a multimedia project called Magdalena. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that would be gay. I say Magdalena. Magdalena. Okay, I'll try. Um, A multimedia project called Magdalena, which is touring until 2022. And she's currently curating the second Moving Body Moving Image Festival of dance films at Barnard. The theme of the festival this year is aging. And due to the outbreak of COVID-19, it will take place completely online, coming right up on April 4th from 12 to 6 p.m. So this is great. We've got a lot to work with here. (laughs) I can't wait to hear about all of it. But we always start from the beginning with our guests, and you have such an interesting background. You grew up in Curacao. I think that gives you such a unique perspective within the wider world of dance. And we love that you are very active in expressing and bringing to light this perspective in your work. So to start, just tell us about growing up in Curacao and your experience with the crossroads culture that some of our listeners might not be familiar with, and of course, your dance training or your dance background. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Really nice to be here. And actually, I've been listening to your podcast before, so that's good. Great. Um, Thanks for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> so one of my favorite things to do is listening to podcasts. Um, my very favorite podcast of all times is On Being. Oh, yeah, with Krista Tippett. Yeah, I love Krista <laughs> Tippett. That's a whole other one. It depends on who I am in. So... Yeah, so I was born and raised in Curacao, which is, we are still colonies, even sort of now we're independent, sort of, sort of independent nation within the kingdom of the Netherlands, still a kingdom. You know, my dad from Suriname was one of the former Dutch Guyana, I was in South America, and my mom is from the Netherlands, so it's both interracial. She is, you know, 500 years not over the border, as far as we know, she's like completely as pure Dutch as she can get. And then she married my my dad. And my dad is then a mixture again, uh, which goes back we between a half Chinese, half black mother and a half Jewish, half black father. And so I have all that in there. And so Curacao is in a very small island. It's 20 by 60 kilometers. I'm not sure how much that is a mile, but it's quite international. It was a big port. It still is a big port. And I would say pretty sophisticated in a sense. And well, maybe you have that everywhere. We're very small, so we always look out. Mm-hmm. And we're also multilingual. The language in school is Dutch. We spoke Dutch at home, but the local language is Papiamento, which is a Creole. Wow. And most of us, like people here say, oh, you speak five languages. Oh, my God. And I'm like, all oh, my friends do. So we think that's just really normal. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And also the way we grew up is we're in the coastal Venezuela. So we can say Venezuela 
on a clear day, we just see Venezuela. So it's really, wow. we get a lot of the fruit and vegetables. Now, not as much, but from Venezuela. Does anyone and, swim there? Is that like a thing, like a swimming to Venezuela? <laughs> you know, it, during times of slavery, it was a thing. People escaped to Venezuela. Wow. Yes. Wow. Oh, or on little boats mostly because it's not, it's not that close that you would just get to Venezuela. It's mostly like it's a super clear day. You see Venezuela, but it's in the coast of Venezuela. So it kind of also man, means like from a language perspective that you you go to school, like for an, a general Curacao person, you hear Papiamento in the street or you speak it also at home. I spoke Dutch at home, but then you speak Dutch in school and then with your friends Papiamento. And then if you watch TV or listen to the radio, you go from English to Spanish to Dutch and nothing has subtitles. So you just learn your languages. <laughs> so that's part of what's been happening. And it's also really a, a, a place where a lot of different races, it's still quite, a, quite Dutch, but it's, yeah, it's, so it's very eclectic in that way. And so it gives you really different outlook, I think, on the world. The very few people that are in New York most of them go to the Netherlands, as did I when I went to study, but have a very specific, yeah, we have something, some a kinship in how we look at things, a little bit different, maybe yeah. more open. Or yeah. As far as your experience with dance growing up, how prominent is dance in the culture there? And then how did you find your way to it? Yeah, so actually, well, there's a lot of dance, like local dances. Tambu, I've written about that. I'm happy to send you something on it. They have local the local culture, tambu and tumba, salsa. You, you grow up with a lot of just local dances that you do in social occasions, mostly. I grew up doing yoga since I'm really little, nine. Mm. <laughs> Again, I made a film about my yoga teacher because in retrospect, I was thinking, wow, I just grew up with this, doing yoga since I'm nine. And that's my intro into dance, actually. Okay. So I'm a lifelong yogini before people did yoga. It was <laughs> a weird thing. And at the time, definitely on the islands. And I started dancing by making dances and they were mostly yoga poses that I made solos and costumes and I performed even in theaters, opening oh. exhibitions. I had like no clue what I was doing. Was that in Curacao that you yeah, started doing that? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really funny to think back that you have something in you that you need to express. I was writing as well. I would publish poetry in the local newspaper and write stories and I was writing for our school paper and started making dances without dance training. But I did was at my yoga ashram a few days a week. And what happened is that I did this solo and you know, people were thinking, oh, you have no training. Other people thought it was interesting. And I, you know, it was, it's really interesting because I had no idea what I was doing. I don't know, I don't know what it was modern or what it was. I just was doing <laughs> dances. <laughs> I, I had no television at home. We barely had a lot. We had barely had anything. We had no internet, of course, at the time. So, wow. yeah, it's kind of interesting thinking back about it that I had this like strong drive to make things. And then one day, one of a woman, a Dolly Beckers, who was, there were local dance schools, but I started doing ballet maybe maybe six months or something like that and my mom was really not for it and I complained once about the teacher and she took me out and I never really asked to go back so there's not there's some like dance schools there but I wasn't part of that at all my life was doing yoga with 
grown-ups. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's weird. Now I think it's weird. Then I didn't think anything of it. And then yeah, Dolly Becker saw a performance I did, which was at an, uh, one of those old plantation houses, which is, again, actually is a gallery. And she came to me and actually also did it in a theater. She saw it and she was a woman, local woman. But she had studied with Graham in New York and she was back in the islands. She came to see it. And she said to me, you're going to study in the Netherlands. I was going to study journalism. You are a modern dancer. You have to do modern dance. I had no idea what it was. But she did give me a phone number in Utrecht, where I was going to do school for journalism. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then she said, this is it. You should take some classes. And um, I did. Wow. Because I was like, modern dance, interesting. So I'm always very curious. and. I took some classes with Graham. I wasn't into it so much, but I did see Trisha Brown. It totally blew me away. And then I auditioned like right after I dropped out of school for journalism and did school for new dance development. Went to school for new dance development in Amsterdam. Huh. With Sasha Walsh was like, you know, all of us were all together. So we had quite an amazing class. Wow. So you transferred there, like the, you transferred to go study dance instead of journalism because yeah. of your exposure yeah, to modern dance. Right there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It was never occurred to me, even in Curacao, that you could start like in college age, and nor did I ever think that it would be a viable profession. In Curacao, you don't have, you know, you you have people that have a a local dance school, but not something that I thought I could do and study. It's definitely not having never really trained. Wow. Yeah. So I did auditions and I, I, that's what I did. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like throughout your, all of your growing up, even as a child, before you had any formal training at all, you've been so based as a creator and in, and art itself has been such a big part of what you do. So one of the questions that we had on here was, was one of the quotes that's from your website. So I want to read that to you. Your website states that you are a firm believer in the role the arts and artists can play in advancing our global society, and that your mission is to transform the understanding of humanity through the arts. So being that art is such a ingrained part of who you are, mm-hmm. as is a lot of artists, but I mean, for you, even before formal training, how do you go about doing that mission that you've set out? Yeah, you know, I have to say that I'm a person that mostly know what I'm doing after I did it. <laughs> I <Right>. love that. <laughs> now, now I can, in retrospect, look back and I think, oh, this is what I was doing and I can have a really good story about it. So since I've done a lot of things, I have some, of, some kind of story about it. But I think it has changed also what sort of my mission was. In the, in the beginning, I think I've always really wanted to tell a story or do something that where people weren't really talking about. So for example, in the Netherlands, my first evening length piece was called Orange Melted, which is a self-made word. And I still think I should put a name a company after that because it's still <laughs> very, very much of what I believe it was based on a poem I did. It was an evening length piece, very, very successful. But I really wanted to talk about the generation that I am. And that's only now they're really talking about it in the Netherlands, which are people of color that really know the Dutch culture. I have a Dutch accent. I'm feel Dutch, Dutch is my first language. And then you come to the Netherlands and you are an allochtone. You don't belong. But let's say you come and you're white and you're from America. It's much easier to get integrated, even though this is wow. my culture too, right? So there's that. Really? Yeah. Huh. yeah. 
Wow. <laughs> and so now, now there are not enough people of color born in the Netherlands that, but it's, it's only now really coming to the forefront. So for me, going to the Netherlands and always having felt that I was this person speaking, you know, my mom is Dutch, blue, blonde, blue eyed. My dad is this, you know, we, that was, I know this culture deeply. I know Dutch culture really deeply. And so I was really excited to go along all the way by myself and, and then to be confronted, to be with this sense of being from the Caribbean and being from the islands. And it kind of looked down on people on the Curacao. Mm. And, um, and having a word for it. And I'm like, wait, I'm Dutch, I have a Dutch password in my, du-, you know, that, that was a really thing. So I made a piece about that, about um, with five other dancers, one from Indonesia, which is also former Dutch colony, Suriname, and plus poetry and words and singing. And I think that was a piece that sort of really was one of the earlier pieces in dance that spoke to this idea of that the people from the colonies, even though we were so Dutch, were not part of it was I consciously saying I'm doing I was definitely had a complete clear mission in that I think I've softened in allowing people in or out you know like not it's not I'm not so I'm not an in-your-face person I don't make I leave room like if you even see the film I did one of the earlier films with Kyle Abraham the quarantine which we did in the quarantine building in Curacao wow and that's a series also and I'm just jumping a little bit, but if I look at that and I look at that first piece, that's talks about it's beautiful buildings and it's beautiful dancing, but it's all these buildings with this deep, deep weight. So the quarantine building was where a place where uh, enslaved Africans would come to the Americas and Curacao was a big slave port. So the sick one stayed in this one building and we filmed in this one building. Mm. And people can look at this film and say, oh, it's so beautiful and God, it's gorgeous. And, you know, which I want. I want them to give an option, but then in the end you get some more information. So at that point you can think, oh yeah, what is this place and how does it happen? And I did the other film in more of a plantation setting, uh, has some documentary as I did as an installation film, but I was done in a building that was built by Matthias Beck and that was in the 1600s. And he was a vice president under Peter Stuyvesant. And Peter Stuyvesant was the governor of New York, New Amsterdam at the time. And so I also like to get all those relations happening, right? <laughs> New York was New Amsterdam. And so yeah. what I tried to do with that without having a big lecture about it, like people, like you can look at it at beautiful dance films or is, and even the other one, you could look at it and think, oh, this women dancing. But if you poke through and if you really go a little bit deeper, then that there's a lot of layers to that, like the layers of what the, the history holds. So I'm kind of like in dialogue with that, but also what, what we share and share in, in history that, we, that connects us all, share in the internationalism, that globalism that's been around. It's not like all of a sudden we're traveling. That's, that's something that's been happening forever, right? All of a sudden, we're not traveling, actually. Yeah, now we're not traveling. So <laughs> no, what does that anywhere, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so to actually answer the question, like, more specifically, is that how to look at a, an, at a shared humanity is still making something, either writing or a film or a dance, around something that involves us all, leaving it kind of open to the viewer to 
step in it or not in it. And then pinpointing out, pinpointing something that we have in common or that we share. That's basically what I try to do. But how I do it depends on the subject or what I think is the best way of doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I was going to say, Gabri, it sounds like you're you're playing with setting for one thing, which is interesting. And I'm also curious, I always ask people this when we speak with artists who have messaging or have an idea or an issue that they're trying to convey or kind of teach people about or even just explore through their work. I always look for an example and I would say maybe just choose any piece, even though you have so many different types that you want to talk about. And can you give us an example of how the work or the dance or the movement itself that you're presenting kind of illustrates an issue or maybe expresses something that that you're conveying about these cultural issues? Yeah, that's interesting because I don't even think about them as cultural issues. Or cultural ideas. I'm not sure what you'd call it. (laughs) Yeah. Or whatever the message of the piece is, really. Because I think it's interesting that you are, you know, you're really conveying ideas. It's not just movement. There's more to it, or not just film or just the medium you're working in. You really have a, an idea that you're expressing. So I'm curious how you do that through, through art, you know, through the art that you've chosen. Well, you know, I should send you like maybe some of the films. I don't know if you've seen it. That like, would be easier because it's visual, so it might be easier for people to look at it. Yeah, and we but can definitely I'm, post on our website too. Huh. I would have to choose a piece. <laughs> yeah, maybe a movement-based piece. And sometimes it's in the process. Maybe it's more of a process question, like how has the work unfolded and you've worked with dancers yeah, or movers? I, I, I mean, we are going to ask you too about Magdalena in a little bit too. Yeah. So, yeah. so actually that would be good. Other than that, or that's a good one, yeah. I think in movement, even in the classes I teach, I definitely am you know, more of a postmodern, Western trained on levels, but I have a lot of, a lot of hips, I have to do a lot of shoulders, a lot of asymmetry. I'm like, I wouldn't start if we do one thing. It's a ta 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 ta. It's So my my timing, um, I consciously mix things. I I can tell uh, students with dances, okay, this is the hip. This is a fast to round, but you have your your plie and you're still do your leg this and where it comes from. Sort of like a little bit more of an uh, in the language, a little bit more of a fusion if you look at dance language. My earlier work, I was definitely very busy with that part, like with sort of in a tradition of a real, like what I know, real modern dancer. I know I'm not saying I'm Martha Graham, but like when you just develop your own vocabulary as a tradition of in, in dance, the vocabulary, what would be pertains to me would be the modern and the Western and the Caribbean in there. And so that's in the movement language, definitely something you would see. You would see in hip, you would see some other things. So yeah. uh, I definitely embody that in what I do as, as a choreographer. I Although it's not necessarily it's on African or Caribbean music because I'm very much a postmodern, modern person. So I'm not doing back to the roots anything, if that makes sense, right? So, right, what, yeah. I want to, one of the, a quick question for you too, and then, and then we could talk about Magdalena too. I, I'm very curious about that, but this idea that you are a very multicultural person and your dance vocabulary is also very multicultural. How do you use that multicultural sort of 
everything that you've got in your artistry to find the stories. And then how do you, you're talking about vocabulary. So how do you take all of those different things and find the story? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you, how do you find the story? And then how do you translate the story into movement for not just yourself, but for people that you're teaching? So there are two questions I think you're asking. One is how you find the story. And for me, the the story would be more if I make a film. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or maybe a bigger piece where I have sort of more of a message. I'm still, I'm still, I'm, I'm not that linear. Right. I'm trying to be <laughs> for some films, and I, I really am like more of a free flower as a dancer. It's screenwriting classes and really trying to keep it into a certain format, and I just don't like it. And then I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, less people are going to see it, and less people are going to get it. But I really <laughs> not interested in doing that. Oh. Right. Right. So, yeah. Find your own. Yeah, thinking. yeah, mm-hmm. and like it, I think in in teaching, I you know I do come from the kinesiology, I come from this idiokinesis and background that is contact improv and everything that I actually started with. So really holistic body, and I come from yoga, so it's a holistic mm. body approach. Mm. And I danced in Cuba with the Danza Contemporanea. The Cuba sort of definitely, I was there for three mm. years as the only foreigner. So it's like I was attracted to what they were doing with their mixture as their Tecnica Cubana, right? But then also, and mostly because they had all these different cultures. And I was like, wow, this is like a company. They have a codified way of doing these things that I'm trying to do over there. <laughs> and let me study with it. So I actually just teach when I teach it's like I really teach my students what they're doing but I'm also explain it or often I say just do it just pick it up and then we're going to explain it and then I say well this comes from cutting sugar cane and you're going to really imagine Mm -hmm. this and this is more of the hips and it comes from a Yoruba and when you do this rhythm we do and and then we are doing something bigger with it, right? And but then I'll do say, okay, this is derived from this. Now what I do with it is something different. But what's important is you keep that rhythm. Mm. So don't make it one, two, three, four. I'm so glad we're on video. This is part of why we want to do video going <laughs> yeah. forward because our because our guests will do these kinds of things, and then our usually our viewers can't. See. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, great, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of in the teaching and finding explanation I feel you know like I'm of course now more conscious in what it is and what I find important but I'm also really not trying to make many copies of myself so it's always like what is your focus well often it's like the focus is just just focus on the rhythm just focus on the accent just focus on the and I always have a focus like this theme of today is either your hips or being grounded in your hips or stuff like that, right? Yeah, it kind of sounds like in at, at least some of your works, you are bringing this cultural perspective to people by fusing the movements and really just showing them through movement kind of how other rhythms and other cultures that you've experienced would feel altogether. Yeah, but it's still, yeah, definitely. But it's still like for them, it's still like a contemporary class. So there's right. enough for them to hold on to. Great. I, yeah. yeah, I have to say yeah. that is important. <laughs> you know, I, of course, I was trained in ballet, which can be even more restrictive sometimes of getting into other techniques, but you need something you can grasp and then go for Yeah, it. I mean, I, I would say I have a pretty traditional, like, sort of setup of classes and, you know, you're either groundwork and then the plies, but it's, like, very long and it has upper body with it, you know, so that's, I do like the sort of combination of not just 
not just doing your tantus and plies and the discs, but then combining it with the whole upper body and all of that. So that's one part. And I think finding the story is something that just has become more important to me in the last 10 years when I was actually more conscious of what I was actually doing, Michael. Mm-hmm. So before I was just doing it and exploring ideas and I thought, oh, I'm exploring this. <laughs> right. Huh. That's interesting. That's cool. It was, you've always had a need to express yourself, but it wasn't until more recently that you were putting purpose behind it as, or at least in dance. Yeah, I think in dance and also in making, I think I had the purpose, but it, it wasn't so, I wouldn't even say it was thought out. I did it, but it was more like I analyzed it later. Oh, this is right. That's what you've been saying. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The, you uh, do things and then you think about it after the fact. Yeah. yeah, and now, of course, when I develop classes, now I know more what I would want. I can see also progression. Like if I teach a class, what's important, I'm really... And that comes also from filmmaking, where you have to have your POV, your point of view. What's my point of view? What's my point of view? If there's one thing in the class that I want, if there's one thing I want you to get away from a piece, what is that one thing? So the analysis of what I'm doing while I'm doing and before I'm doing is something that I would say it's more from my last 10 years and before hmm. was definitely different for me, I think. We should probably take a quick break and then come back and talk about Magdalena. Let's take our break and then we'll come back into it. <laughs> Perfect. We'll be right back. Hey, Michael Mahaney from the Potter Do Podcast. Do you crave the latest breaking dance news? Or maybe you want that behind the scenes story of Broadway's biggest dance hit or the insider scoop from television's most watched dance competitions? Well. The answer is simple. Dance Network. For the price of your daily coffee, you can have complete access to the best dance news reporting, insider stories, original series, interviews, and more. For $6.99 a month, you get exclusive content, live stream competitions, the latest from the commercial dance world where you'll hear from the casts of Dancing with the Stars and So You Think You Can Dance. And you get behind-the-scenes coverage from the best-sourced dance news reporters in the business. On top of it all, though, Your subscription helps Dance Network keep creating the best dance content available anywhere. So pick up your subscription today. Available at dancenetwork.tv and now in the Roku Channel Store. We're back from our ad break, continuing the interview. And I was just going to say that I think it's so great that you seem so driven by just what's inside you and bringing it out and the need to express it. (laughs) But also that I really relate to what you're saying not so much in my art, but in my life. I've actually been thinking this a lot lately when I describe to people, if they ask or whatever, why I was motivated to do a certain thing in life or how my trajectory developed. Sometimes I find myself stopping and saying, well, I didn't think of this at the time, or I wasn't realizing I was motivated by this at the time. But if I look at it later, I'm telling you from my perspective now, I think this is what was going on. And it really is a thing. Maybe it's especially getting older, but to realize, oh, this is sort of the narrative that I think was at play, but I couldn't tell at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, because you're not as articulate at the time, also, and you're exploring and you're growing and you're trying to be a really good choreographer and you're you have all these things that you want to do, right? And so, actually, recently was reading some of my diaries and actually was pretty clear at the time, but I wasn't verbally very clear. I was clear <laughs> writing down what I was doing. Yeah, I wasn't clear talking about it. Interesting. Yeah. We've talked about it a couple of times now. So Mm -hmm. the Moving Body, Moving Image Festival, obviously a big thing. So your particular project, Magdalena, tell us a little bit about how that came about, 
how it's been going and then also how things are being affected with this online performance situation that's having to happen because of what we're all dealing with right now. Yeah. Well, so to explain the Moving Body, Moving Image Festival's theme this year is aging. And that really came out of me doing the Magdalena project. So there are two separate things, but they're, they're right. related. So, so I first talk about Magdalena. So actually... It's so much cooler when you say it. Magdalena. <laughs> well, you know, it's actually so interesting because it's an exact great example of something I started that I didn't know what it was going to be. There we go. Um, and the way it went is that my mother started developing dementia, which... It's been a long process. She has frontal temporal dementia, which is a form of dementia that actually doesn't start with memory loss, but a lot of personality changes. So for a while, they didn't know what was going on. And then later they developed some memory problems. And so when I noticed that my mom had memory problems, I started just collecting stories from her, mainly with the idea that I didn't want to forget them. She could still write because motor skills go away when something in the brain goes, which I never knew. So she started writing and I would ask her questions. And uh, so I have all these letters. And then I was interviewing her, my dad, people around her. So in academic language, I've learned that's oral history gathering. It has all a name. I'm just like asking <laughs> questions, but... You know, if you got sophisticated and you did an oral history of all these people uh, gathering photos and never with idea of doing a solo project per se, but I was curating for a while. I've been curating living room performances and small performances. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should tell the story about my mom because it's interesting. And also one of the things that happened to me and my family is that people don't like to talk about dementia. There's like a shame, there's a stigma. When you're in it, you don't know what's happening. And it's kind of a lonely process. So that was just an idea in the beginning. Then I thought, you know what? I'm making a big film because I wrote this whole World War II. My mom is from Rotterdam, which was bombed very heavily in World War II, very traumatized. And so I said, okay, so I'm going to make a feature. But World War II, I'm never going to get money for a feature film because, you know, nobody knows me and like the big, big world of filmmaking that I'm going to get millions of dollars to do in a historical drama that's not happening. So, but I did have sort of these screenplays already. And then I was talking to Erwin Maas who actually directed it. And he was like, you know, you should maybe that's your solo project because I kept on saying, Oh, I'm going to do a solo, but I'm not, I'm a maker. So I've never been really interested in per se that I have to be on stage to do this long solo. Like, I miss dancing and creating, but not necessarily being on stage, if that makes sense. Okay. But then, then I thought, yeah, I want to tell this story. So I gathered, so it was like three years of gathering material, writing stuff, writing screenplays and stories. And then I thought, oh, I need to make this story. I want to do it intimately so that I can share what I'm doing and share her story, which is actually an interesting story. And I'm a firm believer in telling a personal story that can transcend anything right because we all yeah. that's where our common language is right, mm, right. Like if we do we all have mothers yeah point, right so it, it coming becomes, back to that universal shared experience yeah it, it becomes universal shared experience and by me sharing her story and my experience it, it allows other people to 
take time with their experience. So yeah. that really was the purpose in, in creating something very intimate. So it was much more purposeful in the sense of limitations I put on myself. The design had to fit anywhere. So it, I didn't want to be having to have a theater that necessarily had to present it. I just need the wooden floor. I worked with Guy Delancey to develop something that had to go into suitcases so that we could project lamps. Everything had to fit into suitcases so I could do it <laughs> everywhere and still be very multi-dimensional and multidisciplinary. Mm-hmm. And I would be telling stories in different ways. So I dance. I dance the dementia. As I say, there's film. I wrote stories, so I sit and I talk like I talk now with the audience. I start in the audience. Oh, wow. Are you having a back and forth dialogue with the audience? Or are you uh, narrating for them? I'm narrating and I'm dancing and everything. Yes, for an hour. Pretty intense performance hour. (laughs) Yeah. So logistically speaking, for the performance within the festival this year, since it's happening online. I'm not performing the, fest- I'm not performing the oh. festival. Yeah. So that's why I say there are got two it. different things. So oh, okay. Are- yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was thinking that, that that was a part, your contribution to this year's festival, but no. no so I, I made the festival. It's my right. Right, right, right. festival. I curate the festival, but juries. So you've are- been performing Magdalena around performing already. And, I was and you continue to, yeah, perform yeah. once we're all allowed to be gathered again. Yeah, I had a really big tour. It's all canceled. So I was going to go ah. to, yeah, I was very excited because I was going to perform in South Africa and a few places. So that's, that's well, postponed. We'll see. Okay. Um, I hope it can be rescheduled because mm-hmm. that would be such a disappointment. Well, we're, they're talking about rescheduling, but yeah. Okay, good. Talking about January probably. So I was going to do May, June, July. Like I had a lot of performance set up, so that's not happening. I'll be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But through that piece, every one thing led to another to another. Through that piece, I became a fellow in Equity and Global Brain Health, mm. which I did for a year. I'm now Senior Atlantic Fellow. And basically, it's I run out of UCSF and Trinity College. I have way too much to tell, so I just cut it all out later. So, <laughs> no, we want to hear it. <laughs> you ask, and so this is all connected. So I did the whole while making the piece and doing the piece. I actually premiered the piece while I was being a fellow. And basically, what the fellowship was is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought, oh, I get some money, and then you know, sounds good. But it was a trainings program, so it was thirty fellows from twenty-seven countries, including Botswana, that are mostly neuropsychologists, neuroscience people, and me. Uh, <laughs> learning about the brain and dementia worldwide. And it was very intense. And I learned a lot and I did that while doing it, but, but it made me think about aging. So mm. that's where it yeah. comes. And even making the piece about my mom made me think about aging. Of course, right. aging, but also thinking about brain health in general, stigma around brain health. I started thinking about how we all do our best to like stay young and I learned how important it is for society to have intergenerational conversations, workplaces, not just with people in one age, not only inter different, different cultures and men and women and trans and everything else together, but then actually it's really important for everybody is that you are amidst people of different generations, how important physical health is to brain health. I also started noticing what, how people talk about older people and it's 
right now is of course rampant, right? Because we can let them die or what people say. And sort of older people becoming invisible. And yeah, many things. I mean, we really started researching. One of the things I'm really curious, so I start researching a lot. So while doing this, I actually became much more interested also in dementia. We have a dementia film, but really into how aging is and also thinking about what happens when people, when you're not seen anymore, when as a woman, you are not valued for your opinions, you're, or a man, you're not really part of society. What happens to your brain? Like I just started thinking, what happens besides what happens to your body? What happens to you? And then I started looking at, yeah. when do you see older people on screen? And even I noticed that I have eight older people in my films even, but never in the lead role, mm. right? So even I realized that, oh, I don't have a protagonist at 70. Why not? Why isn't the main person dancing, even if it's different, somebody old? Like if it's not Baryshnikov or Carmen de Lavala, right? Right, yeah. Because we have those, those like iconic one or two people that still... Everyone are, knows. That yeah. everyone knows. And so then I started looking at dance and then, you know, a, a lot of peers are still dancing, but not having it, you know, like, so I'm in the middle of that thinking about that. I have no conclusion. Right. But I wanted to just talk about it. And I wanted yeah. people to start thinking about it. So that's why the festival became around aging. You curated wow. the festival to be around that. It's one of the other things that we have on here is that on top of curating a festival, creating your own work, teaching, being an Atlantic <laughs> fellow, among a million other things that you seem to be doing all I'm, the same I'm time. I'm a mother. <laughs> and, a, and a mother. Oh, wow. Um, I'm a wife. <laughs> You sit on the mayor's dance advisory board, which is very cool. So I guess in a sense, I'm not exactly sure how that works. So maybe you can give us a little background on how that actually works. But with that sort of access to the mayor and the city's ear, what do you sort of hope to accomplish? I mean, are you working towards sort of the things that you're working on in your own personal artistic life, aging, oral history, that sort of stuff? Or are you working on things about like getting people to allow be dancing in bars and restaurants that was just recently lifted last year. What yeah. what is that having the mayor and the city's ear get for you? <laughs> well, for it's been, it's been, we're year six, I think now, because the mayor was reelected. So we stayed on the commission. It's a commission. So it's a legal, it's a legal entity. They are required mm-hmm. to yes. get our advice. <laughs> so in the set, it's a requirement to have to to have us. So we advise. It's not necessarily that we personally that we personally let's say do the work of the cultural affairs. But for example, the thing that we did in the beginning, we're very involved is the the cultural plan of New York City. Mm-hmm. There is more money that went to arts more on around disability that's definitely for some people in the commission that have been advocating we had at the time also actually still on lands from dance nyc you know and then then so there were definitely things that we advocate from and being on the commission or being asked for it is also because i part of sort of the social part is that i also believe that as artists and that's just my personal thing that I think it's really important to serve on other boards to learn the whole ecosystem. So I was eight years on dance 
theater of workshops board. Oh, I was on the board of Amazon with C. So, you know, sometimes not fun, but important to being heard as an artist. I've been on the civic committee of my neighborhood. Hmm. I'm very involved in that. I was secretary of my uh, St. George Civic Association. So kind of the service to your community, the dance community, or my neighborhood community is part of what I think is important in being a voice or having a voice in what's happening in what, the city. So, what so neighborhood are you in? I'm, you know, we lost our Tom Finkelper, who I love, Adora was a commissioner. He he was let go. Mm. I was mostly a pain in the ass of saying what I was thinking. Of. Yeah, but you know, like we're we're a group of very opinionated people wanting to know what's happening, why, and uh, questioning. And so we give feedback and stuff like that. Yeah. Right now it's in transition. So we, I'm expecting we were going to be together, but now we're not because we're going to be in this Corona thing for a minute, I believe. So, but it's been very interesting to be in that and to understand a little bit more about the funding, how funding is divided, at least from the Department of Cultural Affairs and also the mayor is definitely somebody, you know, it's not like he sits there, but the commissioner does culture. So he's in all the meetings. And yeah, just start thinking about what's important for culture and spaces for dance. I think this, one of the things that this administration has done, some really good things for, for the arts in the city, you know, oh, I think. Good. And what are some of the priorities you guys are working on now? Or should I say, were you working on before COVID? I don't know if that's become one in in that specific community. yeah well we we haven't really gotten together so mm-hmm. we i'm sure we'll hear something i think people are it's going to change and the budget i'm sure is going to change everything's going to change right we're yeah. all incredibly impacted you know i don't know i think sort of equity is a really important within mm-hmm. the city so it's also looking at one of the things the culture affairs did is uh, looking at diversifying boards of institutions, hmm. people that have powers. Like those are the things that all have happened in the period that we're there, that especially from organizations that get money from the city and stuff like that. But yeah, so we weigh in, we weigh in on what they're doing. It's not necessarily, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, it sounds That's like- It's very interesting. Part it's of. Yeah. 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 I guess before we wrap up, Michael, do you have any other questions? And Gabri, no. do you have other things you want to promote or do you want to tell us how to tune into that film festival and anything else? Yeah, so this happened, COVID-19, and our yeah. festival is April 4th. Mm-hmm. And before we were closing down, I already decided that I didn't know what was going to happen, but I, I decided we should go virtual because a lot of the people that reserved already were an older population and Hmm. I didn't even want to ask them to come out. Oh, okay. Um, So that decision I made a while back. And then, so we are streaming it online. The the part of the festival is that it's very small and focused on social issues, only like one theme. All the films have aging as, or dementia. Mm -hmm. Part of what was great in the first one we did and what's touring is people really come together and it's not one of those festivals. You run to this place and then there and there and you say hi and run. It was really set up so that everyone would see the same thing. And then the other. And then there is the conversation. And then you sit and hang out and watch installations. And that happened. People really were like this sort of this community of thinking. 
how to recreate that on the site, I don't know. But what, the one thing that we're doing is we're doing the festival at the same time schedule. So we release the one f- program with shorts at the same time we were going to do it. And then people can hopefully all watch it at that time. And then the mm-hmm. next one all at that time. And then other part of sort of delving deeply into one issue is a conversation that we're going to live stream through Zoom on Vimeo. But it's all on the website. We had to build a new website because the Barnard yeah. site was the thing. So we just built a website and we're very few people. Okay. So we know it's been insane. But then people can participate as well. So they can all zoom in for the second part. And that has Deborah Jowett on it. She was going to dance a solo. That's not happening, which would be great because she's 85. And, (laughs) you know, really sorry that that's not happening. Susanna Sloat was also a writer, dance person, you might know. So it's filmmakers and dance makers that are all like mid-40s still, past (laughs) mid-80s. Wow. The jury also is like intergenerational. So it's also not young people saying what you know, so that's one important thing for me. It's always like the the people selecting the films. I had a jury in the end, I make the final call. But it really was collectively looking from different perspectives at uh, all the submissions, which was very that's hard because there are not a lot of good films with all, you know, that's a whole story. But right. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to go there. We'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Well, it sounds wonderful. And we'll definitely post the link to it. And I hope that... Um, some of our listeners will tune in and actually join into the discussion too, because I, you know, it's so important. Obviously we believe in discussion. We have a whole podcast about dance and yeah. What's the website too. Do you know offhand? Yeah. It's moving body, moving image.com. Awesome. Moving body, moving image.com. Yeah. Right. And the films will stay up for 24 hours. Other parts will stay up. Anyway, I can send you the link. I can send you the trailer, all of that stuff. We'll post it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This has been really fascinating. And I love that picture behind you. Very visually stimulating. I do too. (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy, Jimmy. Yes. (laughs) Love it. So thank you so much. We'll keep you updated on getting this out to our listeners. Yeah, thank you for asking me. I really appreciate it, guys. And have a good one. Good luck with everything. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. (laughs)